0: My name is Tony, and I was in a cult for over a decade. And my name is Lindsay, and my sister was in a cult for over a decade. And now I'm out. Lindsay and my family helped get me out, and we have created a podcast. Playing in Traffic. We interview survivors of the Wimscog. We cover topics of healing and topics of all things about cults. So tune in, like, subscribe, whatever all that means, and enjoy the process of deconstruction. Hello, you lovely listener. I just wanted to pop on and let you know that this episode is a part two episode. We did a whole episode about ruby ridge and waco and then we interviewed dustin to um ask him some questions about the law enforcement things of it and originally it was going to be one episode but this interview was so good we decided to make it its own separate episode so if you haven't listened to the first one about ruby ridge and waco rewind and go back it's our it's the episode right before this okay i hope you enjoy Welcome to Playing in Traffic. This is our disclaimer song. This is our disclaimer song. It's our opinion. Don't sue us. Don't sue us. If you didn't want us to make a podcast about you, then you probably shouldn't have started a religion where you brainwashed people and separated them from your family, so it's kind of your fault. But don't sue us. Don't sue us. You know who you are. So don't do it, don't sue us, don't sue us. What, 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 what? Okay. Hi, Tony. Hi, Lindsay. We're back. We're back with our, actually, so today we are going to end our episode with an old friend of mine. We go back since elementary school. Since elementary school all the way in the old days. So we have our friend Dustin here and he is actually a, um, a fellow podcaster and he has a lot of previous law enforcement experience. And so he's going to hop on here with us and he's going to help us sort of understand, um, you know, the government law enforcement side of what happened at Ruby Ridge and Waco and sort of give us some of that insight because Lindsay, we literally have no idea about any of that stuff, right? Yeah. Oh Yeah yeah we have no we experience of and no knowledge religious stuff but then the law enforcement stuff we're like I don't, I don't know who made that call or why they did that so. yeah so we called on dustin to see if he could help fill us in some gaps for us so everybody welcome dustin hi dustin
1: hey, hey long time no see guys how long are you guys
0: i'm no see, good see really us. good
1: Oh yeah, I was I was actually telling my wife about that Tony. I think you were one of my very first quote unquote like elementary school girlfriends. You know, that's oh. the one person that you like you hung out with them for like two times and you thought they were your girlfriends. Barely talk.
0: <laughs> like, yeah. do you like me? Yes or no? Yeah, do you got, yeah. Do you want to meet after school? Check the yeah, box, right? Yeah, yeah. No, no. So, yeah, I no. Have- no I've, I didn't know you went to the same school. I think we went to elementary, middle, and then high school. We just went the whole, whole nine So, yards. At the very
1: least, it was middle school, 100%, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, my name is Dustin Duff. I, uh, I did 10 years with the Denver Police Department. I retired in 2016. Um, during that time, just for some quick background to everybody, Um, I moved up the ranks. Um, I was a patrol officer, obviously, where you start, right? And so I did a lot of time as a patrol officer on graveyard shift. Um, My area of responsibility, if I say AOR, that's usually what it means, is area of responsibility, okay? Um, My area of responsibility within the city for most of my career was down in District 4, which is basically Alameda Federal Area for anybody in Colorado that's listening. So um, at the time, you know, I know there's been some rejuvenation projects, but at the time that I worked down there, we had the largest major call load in the city. Uh, I bet means, that's
0: a rough area.
1: Basically, like I tell everybody, the funny night I call it a funny night because you just have to find humor in some of this stuff, right? But um, the funny night, we pulled the video off of South Federal Boulevard, and so we had let's say we had 15 cops on the on the street that night. We had a shooting come up um, in the north end of the the district, so you see all these cop cars flying up Federal. Boom, 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 boom. Then we had a quadruple stabbing, not maybe five, 10 minutes after that, down in the south part of our district. So then you watch the camera and you see about half the patrol cars coming back, right? And then there was another shooting that came up in the north end of the district. There was maybe only two cars going to that, right? And so when I say is the most uh, like major call um, section of the city at the time, again, I don't know what the stats are now. I just know the general stats down there. They're breaking homicide records and everything else. But um, you know, at the time, we were the ones that had a lot of like major domestic violence, stabbing, shooting, stuff like that. And so um, during that time, it was it was pretty nuts, you know. And so um, during that, I, I moved fairly quickly. I got taken over to what they call a, a scat team, which is essentially a street crimes attack team. Right. So we were kind of half patrol we could write our own warrants and do our own investigations if we'd like to. Um, And then after that, I transitioned and I actually went to several different detective bureaus. I was an undercover narcotics detective for a little while. Um, I did complex crime investigations, meaning like identity thefts and stuff like that, that kind of tie in with dope. Right. And then um, I, I ended up doing right before I got in trouble. And I'll tell that story if you guys want me to. But I tell it on my podcast all the time. I got a DUI and I got demoted and all kinds of stuff. But um during that time, I, I was a complex crimes detective, so I was getting sent to a lot of different um, schools um, in terms of like interview and interrogation and and some of these other higher up things. So I was actually getting trained by people from federal agencies. Uh, before we get into this talk, I just want to make everybody clear. I was never a part of a federal agency and there are some things that are different from the local level to the federal level. So if I say anything throughout this um, interview to any of my federal friends or anybody in the feds that hear it and get pissed off, you know, that's not, it's nothing personal. It's just coming off of based off of my personal experience. And I do have friends in the feds, Um, So I do seek out their counsel when I want opinions for our show and stuff, but there are some different requirements. And, um, you know, if you want just a real quick, Cliff's notes on that. I'll have to figure out what um, episode it was on our podcast. But we talked about like the Capitol riot shooting. Right. And how if that would okay, have been hold a on one cop-
0: Can I just say uh, Dustin's podcast is called Uncommon and it's available on Spotify, anywhere that you guys can find your podcasts. OK, so check yes. it out. It's really interesting. Sorry. go ahead.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, and so like just as an example. Right. Um, I gave my opinion on the, the January 6th, the officer that ended up shooting Ashley Babbitt and his um and his interview that he gave whereas if you look at that interview and you see um, what has happened with some of the other just say street cops right at the local level um i mean they would have been thrown in prison right and this guy's still out walking around so there's some things there's some elements with the federal government um you know bureaus that they can do and they have you know they can justify or whatever based on political you know political stuff and like being around mayors and those kind of things so um, just if I say anything right. on here, it's not, it's not a personal attack to anybody, but it would, a lot of this is just going to be my opinion as well.
0: Right. You, you Oh, that is so interesting. interesting. Wow, you have a lot of training. You have a lot of training. That's
1: yeah. Great. Yeah. I did a lot of. I did a lot of years, and uh, before my DUI, I was actually getting recruited by the ATF um, for wow. streamlined testing uh, to go into the ATF. I was doing a lot of gang and um, gang and uh, gun cases at the time. I was finding a lot of guns, and so I had a connection up with the atf and you know i feel like everything works out how it's supposed to be you know whether it's no matter what religion you believe in or if you just believe in a higher power or anything else you know i just feel like everything really just kind of happens for a reason and i love my life now and i'm having a hell of a lot of fun doing what i'm doing so that's kind of you know kind of
0: a lot safer too with whatever you're doing
1: (laughs) you think right yeah
0: yeah
1: i don't know if you met some of my clients you might uh (laughs) you (laughs) might be like oh
0: uh, Hold oh, on one second. I just jogged six miles and Tony and I were both like, We just took a nap. Yeah. <laughs> so we sound like we have very different lifestyles already. <laughs> it's so funny. Right. All right. Dustin, um, do you have any kind of like personal connection with Ruby Ridge and Waco or like any person like what was your personal do you have personal interest in it or?
1: So you guys are gonna think this is funny, but this is where it really started. I thought about this because you guys sent me over just a couple of general guidelines, right? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, why have I been interested in these things that you know we're gonna talk about and, and and abroad, right? And so what I what I was able to boil it down to, because it's just really general curiosity based off of you know my previous experiences and stuff, is narcissistic narcissistic personalities. That's what I'm really interested in because I love. Um, there's a book that I read during the DNC. I was so bored during the first DNC when it was in Denver, right? I had to work two of them. I worked the one in North Carolina and I worked the one in Denver. I got shipped out to North Carolina for the site psych- psych- Obama too. That would have been and awesome. So- <laughs> yeah. And so, um, but on the one in Denver, you know, we were expecting these big protests and we were going to be so busy and blah, 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 blah. And there was absolutely nothing happened. So yeah. there was a lot of sitting around time in your turtle gear, sweating your butt off, you know. And so I started carrying this book around and it was called Without Conscience. And I don't remember, mm-hmm. I'll have to look up the um, the author. It is not a bestseller. It has like two eyeballs on the front and that is it. But mm-hmm. it was this um, Canadian Um, psychologist that did over 25 years in the prison systems up in Canada and he was one that kind of came up with a lot of different um, criteria so to speak in identifying sociopaths and psychopaths right and so I got really down that rabbit hole during the DNC reading that book because I was not a big reader at all if Tony remembers I was not that kind of guy I was an out play football kind of go to do my thing kind of person but smart
0: yeah
1: yeah and so uh, But as the years went, you know, I love that um, show. I don't know if you guys, oh God, I can't think about it. What it was right now, but it was a there was a series on Netflix. I'll have to get the name for you. But it was also about the FBI agent that started building the criteria for identifying sociopaths and psychopaths. Yeah,
0: that Mind
1: that's what what Hunter or Mind
0: something. There you go. Yeah. Yep. That I, was love it. That that I love was that
1: show. Yeah. And so just like that, so if you want to take that as kind of like the baseline, that's what right. I really interests me, right? Like what. What drives people, and I'm sure you guys are going to be able to talk about this from firsthand knowledge, but um, what drives people to not question what's going on, right? Like, how can you believe in something so wholeheartedly, even though maybe everything else in the fiber of your being is telling you that that's not something that's right or just or whatever, right, or vice versa, how do people get so ingrained within a culture and identify themselves as them as a full person inside of this culture and not just pieces, right? And so uh, one thing we try to do hard on our podcast, you know, I am am open with everybody. It it is right-leaning. I don't, you know, I don't hide that. I'm, you know, I'm proud. But I've said it on several podcasts. That doesn't dictate who I vote for or anything else. Everything I look at, I feel like I have... Traits from the liberal side of things that I agree with. And there's things from the conservative side of things that I agree with. And what I tell everybody is, is I go by sheer percentage, right? So if I agree with one side more than the other, then obviously everybody gets grouped into boxes and categorized and everything else. I don't categorize myself with a political, uh, like any political party, right? I just try to take, this is who I am as a person. And it's just a big mashup of all these different ideas and concepts. You know what I mean? And I've, that's what I've built my, my personal identity around
0: right shark society was more like that I think that's obviously the most like realistic way to be but you do kind of go like you're left you're right and then you can't ever be like you know if you have one opinion that's like over here our dad is kind of like that would you say dad is like that dad my dad has like really right views and then really left views and um you know sometimes he'll say something you're like I had no idea you thought that dad (laughs) That's. So I don't and we have really great conversations together, yeah. which was why we wanted to have you on, because we know that your podcast is right leaning, you know, and I still listen oh, and yeah. um, I still enjoy to listen to, you know, opposite opposite sides. And, um, yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to talk, especially about Ruby Ridge, because I don't think a lot of people really know about Ruby Ridge. And um, it's very complicated because I find myself personally not siding with Randy Weaver, but like understanding his mindset and not understanding, but I understand how him and his whole family sort of ended up on that mountain, you know, in that situation. I totally understand how that happened. So, um, so that's complicated to me because he's also a white supremacist and he's a bad guy. So how do you know
1: what I mean? See, and that's where, and I'm going to push back on you just a little bit. Like, yeah, I think please. that's kind of where we get into an issue, right? Like it's a you versus me thing, right? Mm-hmm. Why, who am I, who am I to pass judgment on what they feel is right? Right. Like, who am I, right? Like I'm this guy living in Greeley, Colorado, slinging real estate, running podcasts, I coach football. Like that's right. all, those are all great things. They have right. absolutely nothing to do with what maybe be the most important things to that person. Right. And so, you know, just, Touching back real quick, where a lot of my philosophy comes from, people can laugh and there's, and right now there's a big uproar over Joe Rogan, right? But I think one of the most important things that I've ever heard ever is don't be married to your ideas or don't be married to, you know, don't be married to a thought or a concept, right? Don't be married to that because things are going to change over time, right? right? And I think that when we, when we box ourselves in and we say, Hey, I'm a conservative or I'm a liberal or I'm a this or I'm a that, well, now, you've taken away the ability to have open, you know, an open discussion or, or have other different ideas coming at you, right. Without taking it personal, because you already
0: yourself. I'm sorry. I guess I don't mean that I, that I, that he's a bad guy because he's, he was a white supremacist because he definitely had those beliefs and, And as much as I hate to say this, it's America. And he is allowed to have those beliefs if he wants as much as I disagree. And I think it's awful. But he also was dangerous. I mean, there was a reason why the government was looking for him was because he had, you know, sold some sawed off shotguns. Can you explain? Can you explain to us just why that is dangerous? Why is that illegal to saw off shotguns?
1: So, I do have a different perspective because I did in prepping for this, I did have to go back. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. um, full disclosure, I hadn't looked at Ruby Ridge until we kind of started chatting about it. And I was like, yeah. And then I started going back down the rabbit hole and looking at things. There's a couple of things from the law enforcement side. Right. Um, One thing that I wanted to clear up for you guys, because I know that it was a question on there, um, was why the marshals went there versus just the FBI to begin with. Right. Well, the marshals. There was, an, there was an FTA warrant for Randy Weaver issued based off of the sawed-off shotgun charges that he did not show up for his own trial. So once the si- uh, there is a warrant signed by a judge, that's a lawful reason to take you into custody, right? Right. Marshals are basically the transport and extradition. They handle all of that throughout the United States. So when a federal agency or a federal court issues those type of warrants, that's why the marshal's service was the first to respond because they were basically... In a in a perfect world, had there not been any incident, it was a show up, knock on the door, take him into mm-hmm. custody, take him to court.
0: Yeah, right. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. Before we before I ask that, I just so yeah. does Colorado have marshals? So like, if I get a yeah. warrant, would a marshal come find me?
1: It depends. So uh, state charges, probably not. You know, unless oh, they're really okay. crazy Because it was federal
0: charges. charges, because he sold it to a federal agent. Is that why? Yep. Yep. Okay, yep. and, and so I, federal agent. Okay, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, but um, I have an issue with how kind of went so i've done a lot of undercover deals right and there's a lot of things that i have to do like if i let's just take a very simple example of when i would run a we call it running snitches okay so if you hear that that's what i'm talking about but if i'm running a snitch and we're gonna go do a dope buy right we have to do x amount of dope buys at this location before we can apply for a warrant there's a bunch of different criteria that i gotta i gotta meet but i gotta search him before and after and there's a bunch of other things well how there's two, obviously two sides to the story, right? There's mm-hmm. the law enforcement side and then there's the Weaver side. But in both sides of the story, the one thing that I had an issue with was if the informant approached Randy Weaver to saw those off. So was he doing this act before he was asked to do this act? Because ah. if he wasn't, that that's where I would have an issue, right? Um, but if he was doing it and that was, he was mass producing Um, Sawed off shotguns and he wasn't afraid to cut the barrels off shotguns, then obviously that's something that he should have to atone for, right? Right. To my understanding and all the literature, and again, you know, for anybody that has anything that would be uh, contrary to this, feel free to send it to me. I'll drop my info at the end of the show here. But um, to my understanding, the undercover, not the undercover, he wasn't an agent, he was just an informant. He approached Randy Weaver because he knew that Randy Weaver was hard up for money at the time. So, Randy Weaver did it in conjunction with that, but again, you hear the law enforcement side, they're going to say that he approached the informant and all that kind of right. stuff. So I think that we have a, we have something in law that's called fruit of the poisonous tree, meaning that if I do something illegal at the very front end of this investigation, right, anything, any evidence that is obtained based off of that lie or that misinformation is called fruit of the poisonous tree, and that's going to get thrown out in court. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anything that's associated with that. So the reason why I have an issue is, is if that informant approached Randy Weaver and asked him to do something that he wasn't actively doing already, would he have done that anyway, right? right. Or are we fishing to try to get a warrant on somebody that we know right. is associated with the Aryan Brotherhood and, and all these other do- dominoes? Right. If that's the case, then the investigation should have went a different way, in my opinion.
0: Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah. it's called
1: entrapment. Yeah. So had it, had it been an had it been an agent that was the one that approached him that you could have that he could have went right. for entrapment, right. the right. problem that he ran into was it was just it was an informant right, even though they're working on behalf of the federal government, he wasn't an active agent with the federal government, which would be what we would call entrapment, right, and so if I entrap you to do something you're you can't be compelled. I can't make you do something that right. you wouldn't normally do yeah.
0: so again, so then we go back to the question, right, so yeah, he messed up. And he he broke the law, right? So, yeah, he needs to come forward and pay. So why couldn't the officers just knock on his door? And, and why wasn't there a little bit of compassion and, like, a little bit of a softer approach in the beginning? Because the police are the ones that fucked it up. They're the ones that gave him the wrong court date. He didn't show up. He probably wasn't going to show up anyway. Let's be I, honest. I gonna he say. probably wasn't going to show up.
1: I was going to say, we can say that he would have, right. you know what I mean? But I, like, I try not to, I try to stay away from speculation like right. that, right? right? And so, um, you know, so a couple different things, all right? When you're going to do, um, like, say you're going to hit a warrant, and you know, somebody's armed and dangerous, right? There's nothing to say that those law enforcement officers have to increase their level of danger or their their level of what they can be hurt by just to go apprehend this person, Okay. There's a big workup that happens before any kind of like, if you want to call it a siege or if you want to call it a warrant, serving a warrant or a raid mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. There's a big workup that goes into that, and it's all your criminal history, everything, right? For and sure. So, but
0: he didn't have a history, did he?
1: He did. He had a green. He was a green beret, obviously. So he had military right, training right. in the past. Okay. He but had, I he feel had,
0: like you would have compassion, like, oh, he's a veteran. I don't know. But at uh, the same time, you know, you're dealing with this kind of a psychopath
1: well and you that and you're dealing with somebody that had wiretaps actively in the Aryan Nation in the Aryan right, Brotherhood right? So, right I mean their whole clubhouse was tapped and so when you're hearing what's being talked about you're hearing about people you know in, invoking people to go do violence on other people you're ha- you're having you're hearing all of those conversations you have to assume just for your own safety that this person is is going to be dangerous right? right like i i don't want to go into the, I don't want to go into there. There's levels of alertness, right? That we, that we're taught in law enforcement, right? When you go red and you know that the situation's red, like that's when people get hurt and die. Like that's what right. happens, right? You have Is that to be where on. they
0: were? Do you think that's where they were?
1: No, I believe that they were probably in yellow. So, that, uh-huh. so there were two, there were two pivotal points in this, right? right. There was when, they arrested him or he didn't make it to court. That gave that opened the door for the federal government to issue the warrant to go now make contact with him. Now, law enforcement has a reason to go contact him, right? It's not all speculation. It's not me knocking on your door saying, Are you selling guns? Right. right. They have actual, uh, actual warrant signed by a judge saying, I want to see him to come stand in front of me. Okay. Right. So, that's the first pivotal point. Had he shown up to court and, you know, played the process out and then he was found not guilty, then this would have been a non issue. Right. So there's always that side of it. But then the other side of it is, is how the assault went down. Right. And how we're taking a long, this long of a time to do surveillance and all of these things. And then the son Seriously. ends up getting shot. There's conflicting stories about that as well, but there was right. also an agent that was killed in that exact and same a dog, exchange. And a right. dog.
0: yeah. So
1: there's a lot of information coming in from both sides. Right. And you got to kind of sift through everything. What I feel like happened. Right. And again, I wasn't there. Okay. Right. But just looking at both sides of the story, I never think that one side is hundred percent accurate ever right. because it's your perception, right. Right? right? It's your perception. Plus you add in your adrenaline dump. You're going right. through a high sense and state Fear. of stress anxiety. You start taking in all the different brain chemicals that are getting dumped into your system. It's it's just a different world. I was in a police shooting. I know exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. I know exactly how it feels. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think what happened was if you watch some videos on it, the dog started barking. They were doing surveillance. It was getting pretty close to when they were planning on doing the raid. Right. There was a Y at the bottom of the hill that kind of where everybody kind of broke off. That was kind of like the point. Right. For all these law enforcement agencies, that's where they would both break up and teams would go one way or another. What I feel happened was there was a retreat happening because the dog started barking. You can see on some of the personal video from some of the agents that were taking video that they dog starts barking, they, they're ducking the camera, and they're trying to get out of there, right? Because they don't want to be detected, right? Again, going back to what you were referencing, like that's their... That's their responsibility of trying to get, gain the most information about this entire situation so that somebody doesn't die, right? That's, right? They're trying to plan the best assault, the best way to come in. Where are they not going to see us from? How close can we get to the house? You know what I mean? Can we get to these people before they can reach their firearms or bombs? They don't know what's there. You know, right. If you're tied in with the Aryan Brotherhood, let's just be honest. Right. I mean, how many instances in the past have we talked about the Aryan Brotherhood blowing shit up? Right. Right. Like, so that's not beyond the realm of possibilities that these people can have pipe bombs or sentex or C4 or any of that kind of stuff in this house. Right. And so you don't want to have to go into the house. I don't as a law enforcement officer. If I can get them outside of that house, away from the weapons, away from where they know the, where the rooms are and I don't like that's how I want to do that. I want to get him out in the open. Right. So anyway, going back to my original point, I think what happened was everybody was starting to not necessarily retreat, but start to pull back. Um, when this dog started alerting the Weaver household, what ends up happening is, is the dog goes, has the scent, right. And so he's going to go right to where he's smelling, you know, this this different odor that he hasn't smelled before the kid, you know, unfortunately I think his name was Sammy Weaver, you know, he is following the dog, his dog, that was his dog. Right. And so I think that there's a startle, there's a moment of startle, right. That happens now. It's claimed that the dog was killed, and then Sammy Weaver started shooting at the agents. Agents said they didn't shoot at there, but um, I forget the friend's name, Mr. Smith, something Smith, Nathaniel Smith, I think, or something, Nathan yeah. Smith or something. Um, somebody said that um, upon that, you know, them coming to that confrontation, yeah, Marshall's killing sh- Sammy Weaver was shot. Yeah, so that's the son. So he, um, so he goes for the dog, right? And I think, that, I think that there was a gun battle. So whether it started by the friend shooting at the agents from being startled or the agents actually shooting the dog, that first round goes off. And I think that just opens up Pandora's box, right? Because right. Once, once one discharge has happened, either side can claim now that, hey, they shot at me. So I can shoot at them now, right? And from there on out to be honest with you once the fbi got involved after that incident right there's a call for help that went out and once the fbi got involved they had a, basically a shoot to kill order because they were under the impression that these people had fired and killed an agent and they had to pull that agent out of there, his body out of there right. whether, no matter what happened right
0: right now they're like all just like you killed someone on my on in my family on my side So now they're both like when that happens, it's just kind of over like any negotiation, any like leaving there without tragedy is over at that point. Do you think um, there's so many things I want to ask you, but do you think that at some point before, of course, before this happens, before the shooting happens, at some point the government, I mean, I know they're dangerous because they're white supremacists in Aryan nations and, and they're known for doing all these violent things, but at some point could the government have just backed off and just kind of let him be and just kind of see what happened like i mean yeah what he did was bad but it but you know what i mean like could they have just kind of given time and just let it play out and just let him be crazy in the woods by himself as I mean, opposed to do- doing surveillance and all this other shit and just going for him do you know what i mean
1: a lot, I think a lot more plays into that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if it's a, a perfect world, then yeah, I mean, you could back out and do that kind of stuff. Now, I'll tell you, when I was a cop and I went to something like, say, a man with a gun or something like that, I was joking with Jenna, you know, in Colorado right now, I hit what, a neg- negative 16 last night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When I was working graveyards, I can't tell you how many barricades I ended up being on where I'm standing outside of my car at two o'clock in the morning, freezing freezing negative 20 degree temperatures and stuff, pointing my gun at a house for two mm-hmm. plus hours. Mm-hmm. Because once you're there, you have an obligation to the public, right? Like these people, when you take your oath, it is an obligation to the public at large. Okay. Now, once somebody shows a hundred percent defiance, right? I mean, and I, again, I'm not on either side. I think both sides right. kind of jack this thing up. Yeah, but- me too, me too. But when you're talking about backing out, then, okay, so then when does that stop? Okay, so where does your line now? Okay, so when I go to a serial killer, if a serial killer wants to do the exact same thing, do we do the same thing?
0: It just seems like it pushes them more. It pushes them more. Like The same thing with Waco, which we can talk about, too, is like...
1: You got all kinds of notes.
0: You know, these people have these apocalyptic beliefs that the government is coming for me and they're gonna kill me, and that's prophesied in the Bible. So then while the government's coming towards them, they're like, This is prophecy, this is meant to happen. I need to blow all the shit up. You know what I'm like it. I feel like some consideration should be made for that kind of mental capacity that they're in because. He's not just a white supremacist. He's also apocalyptic, just like David Koresh, you know, um, these really deep religious ideas. And so I think I just wish that maybe the long I don't know if they did. And that's what I want to ask you. Do you think that that's something that they took into consideration was his religious beliefs? I think Randy it was the 90s, too. I don't think that there was a lot of emphasis on like, let's get into his mind and figure out what he's thinking, especially in the 90s.
1: Yeah. And that was one point I wanted to bring up was, I mean, we've come a long way, right? And you right. think about just the information exchange that we have at this point, like you want to learn about, you know, narcissistic personalities, you can go on Google, Doug, Doug go any of the, any of the right. VPN services that you want and type it in there and learn all kinds right. of stuff. Right. But what they, I, one thing that I did pick up on, on my research, right. was I'm a, I'm an anti-media person, just so you guys know, um, Tony's listening to my podcast. She knows I hate the media. I hate everything about the media. So I'm gonna badge, I'm gonna bag on them, but it happened in this situation too. And I'm happy to send you guys one of the videos that I watched. But when you start seeing how the newspapers were reporting it and how they were everything was white supremacist, everything was Aryan something, everything was that well, what that does now as well is it kind of handcuffs the law enforcement agency, whoever it is, right? Because now there's a public perception, and these people, you have people from all sides going, well why Aren't you arresting him, or why are you arresting him, or you know what I mean? So now you have all this other public opinions. pressure going on,
0: right? Right,
1: and so once that builds, there's just nothing you can really do about it, right? Now I really can't back out because it's a national news at this point, and if right. I let this white supremacist right, how it's getting reported, or this you know, anti or racist person or, or whoever, right. right? Um, you can pretty much put in fill in the blank with anybody's, you know background or anything but you know if i let this person go again now in society at large what's the line what's Mm -hmm. your line Mm -hmm. right is it child abuse is it murder is it you know shoplifting like where is your line where is the line now once you make that muddy water and you say okay all right well some people will let them go well now do you let more white people go than black people do you let more of this person go than that person do you let more religious people go than non-religious people Right. And so what is that? Those doors that that opens up that. Right. I mean, I I always tell everybody if people would bitch in the Garden of Eden because the grapes were too sweet. I mean, that's just the truth, you know?
0: Yeah. It just seems like such a strong show of force for something that, yeah, was bad. And then it just sort that, of seems like everybody's ego gets involved, too. Like yeah. his ego was involved, him and his family. And I don't I also want to mention Vicki Weaver, the wife. I mean, she was very, very, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Radical. Radical. I was going to say crazy, but I don't want to say crazy. Not crazy. So radical. She was like more radical than him, I think. I think yeah. she's the reason why they lived there. I mean, they were really brainwashed into this family, like a cult doesn't have to necessarily be a whole big religious congregation, it could even be within a family like a narcissist can be within the family, you know, whether it was him or her or both or whatever. So it's like you have this little cult in there, you know, and I just Dustin, did you you research on the, um, did you research the uh, FBI agent, the sniper?
1: Um, yeah, I believe so. Isn't is that the one that they tried to indict and then
0: it ended up yeah. not going through? Yeah, yeah. that one's um, tricky because you know didn't they just have orders to just go for him? Well, and no, because they had a, he said they had a shoot to kill order. So doesn't that mean they can shoot any adult? I think it was just for him, right?
1: It was. No, um, it was. Let me see in my notes here. It says. I think it's any adult. What I found was they had a shoot to kill order for any, um, any any adult, oh. quote unquote adult that was armed. Right. Oh, and they knew
0: they were all armed because they had surveillance. And even Sammy she yeah. did have well, a baby in her hand. But how could he have seen? I don't know. He shot her right in the head.
1: To be honest with you, they um, she had the one issue that, that I saw. But they didn't know
0: she was dead. They didn't know she died.
1: The one issue that I saw with her right let's just let's just go on her situation yeah. you had three people going through the door they shot Randy Weaver outside right he was hit and so he was retreating back into the house kevin whatever his name was was right behind him the wife was at the door so you have three people going through one funnel point right we call right. that a funnel point through a door jam right you don't want to hang yeah. out in a funnel point because that's the easiest place to get shot or anything else right I don't know. Again, I wasn't there and I've never talked to the actual agent. So I don't want to just assume. right? But when you're taking a shot like that, people are moving. And so whether that was an errant shot that ended up hitting somebody that it shouldn't have hit, or she was an armed party at the house and they had a shoot to kill order. Again, feds have, have a little bit different protocol than say state and local governments do than police departments. right? So if they have a shoot to kill order, then is that justified now? Right? Is could she sniper
0: be that accurate to shoot her right in the head as all three of them are going through at the same time?
1: Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's hours what, and hours. I did five hundred hours of rifle training before I could carry an AR on on duty. Five hundred wow. hours.
0: That's amazing. That actually gives me a lot of um, comfort knowing that you have all that training before you can carry something like that. You know, that's really right. cool, right? Oh
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And so. You know, I just I, I on their side, this is just a couple thoughts on just the snipers. You know, that was during the retreat. The problem that I had with her was some of the letters that she was sending the oh. district the attorney and stuff. When you start talking like that and you start talking biblical and you start talking about the only perception that that's going to give people is that you're willing to die for this. Right. Like she you was start like, off-
0: threatening in those letters.
1: Right. And if you start talking biblically, what do people that are typically talking biblically biblically, over the span of time, what have we come to know is that there's either there's a lot of suicide or there's a lot of homicide or something engaged with that right sacrifice you know, these, uh, we know, biblical
0: prophecies. Yeah,
1: right, exactly. And so when you start receiving letters like that, you have to assume that that is a possibility right now. Is she willing to sacrifice her kids? Because we've seen people that have been willing to sacrifice their kids. Is -hmm. she willing to give up her husband? Is she not? You know what I mean? So you start, There's it just created more of a propensity for violence to happen, I guess, right? Because now, again, we're taking up what their heightened level, their sensitivity level is. If maybe we're moving into maybe an orange, right. Instead of a yellow, we're moving towards that red because, oh shit, she may want to just shoot it out with us. And that's it. So when I approach this house, if I see somebody, I have to assume that that's what she was planning to do until she shows me otherwise. Right. And so, you know, there's, it's, it's tough sometimes to, to, you know, bring yourself back down and that's kind of, where some of these agents and stuff, I feel like failed, right? I mean, they were on, let's say red alert mm-hmm. and we kept it at red alert versus, you know, maybe coming back down, taking another look at it and then going back up again, I wasn't there. So I don't want to just assume. Well,
0: like us. you said, there's media pressure. There's, you know, all kinds of pressure. There's, there's neighbors coming in and protesting and then the white supremacists are coming. I mean, there's so much pressure at that point, And then their egos are kind of involved. And then you yeah, know. because were the neighbors like kind of keeping them supplied with food and stuff. Mm-hmm. Everybody yeah. around was kind of like it reminded me of what was that standoff on the cattle ra- ranch a few years ago oh, with that guy yeah. when they were all helping. It reminded me of Ruby Ridge a little bit with the way that people were like coming in on their horses to kind of come in and like protect them, and it was kind of the same showdown. It was like are are the federal agents gonna just like back off and let this guy live his life? Mm-hmm. I can't even remember the details of that but it ended up not ending in violence but I think it was a that was a result of seeing what happened at Ruby Ridge and going we don't want to do that again because this gang's violent and it was like these two heads coming together but it kind of reminded me of that with the neighbors they were like like standing outside of the driveway kind of blocking and like arguing with the agents the whole time well, people who live out there, they don't want to be bothered by the government. They want to be by themselves and they want to have their freedom. And I, as long as they are not committing any kind of violence, I say, let them be free. And that was kind of why I was like, you know, why were they just so forceful to him? Because all he wanted to do was just live out there and prepare for the end of the world. You know, something that I ever learned there, Tony, that kind of yeah. put this more into context was Right before right before the weapon cell, there was a there was a group called the order and they were like a violent extremist group that was like involved with the Aryan nation and so they were like cracking down a lot on these little individual guys who were like selling these weapons, so they said that they thought that maybe he was connected in some way with the order group. So they thought he was maybe a part of this like radical group, right? That was I mean, like blowing shit up in the name of like Aryan Nation and
1: right. so. And I, that's kind of the tie. I was going to go back to Tony's question. So she, or not question. She had made a statement, you know, about how this kind of, or maybe it was Lindsay. She was one of you guys tying it in with like cult behavior, right? And that's where I feel like the cult. There, there was the tie, right, is with the Aryan Brotherhood, Aryan Nations, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. You know, for everybody out there listening, there was, Which you know, is their compound was. Six, Mm-hmm. yeah it was a 60 their compound was 60 miles south from where the weavers lived he's they started going there as in an effort to start meeting new people and 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 being more in the community in that area but one of the main messages you know was get ready for war right and so again for everybody out there there's multiple wiretaps that were in that that clubhouse at the time so they were feds were hearing everything that they were saying you know in these meetings and stuff and when you hear get ready for war again now, anything that has to do with that group, anybody, anybody that they've identified in that group, anybody that's on the list, anybody, we used to have uh, gang registries, right? When I was a police officer, if you were a gang member, it would pop up on my screen as soon as I ran your name that you were a gang member, this is who the gang you were with, da-da-da-da-da, you know, and all your pertinent charges came up right at the very first screen that I see, right? So think about that in terms of these um, federal agencies, you know, so um, the reason why I said it was very cultish, right is because there's a lot of parallels um between how people use religion like they did at Waco and how these people are just using the government versus us right as the American people um and why I need to stay within this group. I need to be protected by this group, so to speak. The only place that I feel safe is with this group or around this group in Idaho or wherever you are, right, and with these different things, no different than say. Um, you know, the Waco incident where he's saying, live with me, come live on this compound. I'm the mm-hmm. second coming of Christ. Exactly. I'm a this, I'm a that. And so it's giving those people a sense of purpose. Right. And so right. I think that's the main thing is you're taking a lot of people without a sense of purpose. You're trying to, you're giving them some sense of purpose, but every sense of purpose is now tied to what you're involved in. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. You know? And so when I'm, let's say I'm, I'm the leader of that group and I'm saying, hey, the government hates you. The government's coming after you. Police are shit. They're going to kill you. They're going to rape your family. They're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm telling you all these radical ideas and I'm putting these thoughts in your brain. Well, mm-hmm. let's just be honest. You know, I'll, I admit it openly on our podcast. There had to be a certain amount of brainwashing that happened with me going into the police department. If you didn't think that in our military that has to happen mm-hmm. as well, just to survive, mm-hmm. you're out of your mind. And I think that once people have been through something where they've been systematically not, and again, I'm not saying brainwashing in a negative term. I'm just saying when you hear things over and over and over and over and over again, you start to believe them as truth, right? And so if I'm being brainwashed once before, and now I'm even more susceptible to that happening again, right? He was a Green Beret that at the time was a very highly coveted position. It wasn't like now where everything is about the seals and all that kind of stuff. It was, if you were a green beret or an army ranger, you were the dude, like you were the guy in your neighborhood, everything else. When you had your, you had to get brainwashed to go over to some of those wars that we fought during that time. I mean, it was nasty stuff that they saw. So you have to. to So his identity
0: had already been broken. He had already been susceptible to being like broken down like that.
1: Right. And so I think that when he finds a group and I find myself doing this, you guys will laugh at this, but it depends. My mood in a week is a hundred percent dependent on what I'm consuming. Right. So if I'm consuming a ton of rap music, like at the gym, right. That's real aggressive. And it's like F everybody. And I hate, I hate hoes and all that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Whatever. Like I feel, I I feel listening (laughs) to what I'm saying. Like, but I'm just saying, but if I'm yeah. listening in the country all week, yeah. like all of a sudden, like, oh, man, the sun's nice and bright. It's a great day. Right. For sure, like, for sure. And I think a lot of that has to do with my time, you know, being told things over and over and over right. and over and not but to get into what's going on right to. now. But I think right. that that's what's going on right now. You right. know what I mean? Dude, when I
0: happened. feel like with Ruby Ridge and with Waco, we can learn so much about what's happening right now in our own government and and freedom and rights and all of that um oh man there's so many so many things can i go back to something that you said you were talking about how (laughs) you would have like um alerts to to show you like who is like dangerous is that what you said or um Um, kind of on an alert
1: okay yeah when i ran your name
0: okay did you have any religions on there or did you guys ever have any churches or um or anything like that on your radar
1: Religion was out of the purview for us, right? At the local government now, Uh uh at the federal level, maybe, right? Because Uh they are dealing with cults and cult culture and stuff like that. That Um, might be a pivotal thing. At the local government level, at least when I was going through, it was 100% about race and, you know, that kind of stuff. They wanted to know, you know, how many if I'm contacting more Hispanic Americans versus wow. white Americans versus black Americans, or why is that happening? That's all they
0: care about. Well, not all, not all. I don't right. see all. Huh. Well
1: now it's worse, but.
0: Do you think, had, did you ever receive any training about narcissism or about mind control or anything like that in all of your years of training?
1: Um, during my um, investigations training, right? So mm-hmm. doing interview and interrogations, like it's an art. It is an Mm -hmm. art. And so Mm -hmm. I got sent to um, some really top notch people in terms of body language experts, Mm. um, forming questioning, forming, you know, how you, how you it's not like the movies, right? So the Mm -hmm. movies have done a disservice in the sense of everybody thinks that this is how police officers work. We don't come in there with a telephone book and start beating the piss out of people. Mm -hmm. Like that just doesn't happen, right? It's not, that's just, it's a fallacy. Now at the federal level, down at Gitmo or something back in the day, maybe, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I didn't work there, right? So, but in terms of me interviewing somebody, it is a hundred percent about me, not necessarily tricking them, right? But getting them getting them to trust me to the point where they're, they tell me something that I need, that I'm looking for. Right. Like mm-hmm. I sat in my longest interview was, I want to say I was in there for over six hours and mm-hmm. we just kept going round and round and round and round and round. And finally at the very end, I found a leverage point with him and just told him like, this is what's going to happen. And whether you like it or not, this is what's going to happen. If you don't change, you know what I mean? If you don't change your tune, because I already got you, I got you. And I, and I had some leverage on his girlfriend and stuff. And I was like, either, either you could tell me what your involvement was with this or all you guys can go to jail and I'm just going to let the DA figure it all out. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? And to save her, he eventually came clean and that kind of stuff. Well, that's not a great tactic, right? I don't Mm -hmm. like doing that, holding it over people's heads. But, you know, one thing that I learned in those is you got to be able to talk their language, right? And that's hard. Mm-hmm. I don't do kid stuff well. I never sat in on a child abuse, uh, mm-hmm. any, a child sex assault, anything like that. Mm-hmm. I never sat in on an interview like that because I couldn't handle it. Okay, mm-hmm. I just couldn't. Mm-hmm. I'd want to kill him, you know. So, um, but you know, you work with narcissistic people are narcissistic and, and psychopaths and sociopaths, and they don't have to be a murderer, right? Like people, right. that's just a condition. If there's a, it's mm-hmm. a set of criteria that these people hit that can be a serial shoplifter. It could be just a simple car thief. It could be, but they can't function in life without doing some of these things. Right. And Mm -hmm. so that's what ends up kicking them over into some of these different categories. So you're not in the interview room going, okay, this guy's a, this guy's a psychopath. What Mm -hmm. you're doing is you're just pulling at threads and then you're starting to see you're getting the entire picture of who this person is. And once you figure that out, then you kind of go into your different questioning and and now I have different avenues that I'm going to come at him. I'm going to come at him through his family. I'm going to come at him through, you know, his, his criminal history. I'm going to come at him through, you know, if he's a third time strike offender, you know, am I going to come at him that way in some States, you know, it's a life sentence. If you, you know, repeat offender over a certain felony limit. Um, and you've done it over three times. Sometimes it used to to be a life sentence. I don't know after COVID now they've let everybody out of jail, but they, um, but you know, some of that kind of stuff, there were those criteria they had to hit. So, so I have that's,
0: that's the kind yeah. of training you receive through your as being an investigator.
1: Yeah. Yep. And okay. and you know, a lot goes into the body reading section part of that, just being on the street. Like right. you have to understand that I have to assume that every single person that I'm gonna contact in the dead of night wants to kill me. Right. Until they prove otherwise. Right. So like, do you I have
0: think do you think that it would be beneficial for like are they called street patrol? Is that what it's called? Yeah, patrol officers. Yeah, patrol or, officers. Yeah, patrol would it be beneficial for patrol officers to receive in-depth training about narcissism or how to spot um like cult behavior? Like I know that people are trained like how to spot child trafficking. Like even even like I think um like airline attendants and stuff they're trained how to spot child trafficking. Um, I think that it would be beneficial for people to be able to spot like cult or narcissistic, you know, people who might be under the influence of some kind of mind control. Do you think that that's, that would be beneficial or, or available or?
1: Absolutely. I'm going to tell you the main problem that you have right now is just your numbers. Right. And so, right, right. you know, I, I mean, I was out with Denver, I mean, I don't know where they're at now i mean there's been a ton of people with the vaccine mandates and stuff that ended up just leaving you know i mean there was a a lot of my friends that reached out to me about starting their own businesses and stuff so i know there's a lot of good cops that walked away from that job but even before that we were deficient by like a thousand officers or something like that you know what i'm Mm -hmm. saying like it was like a thousand officers so you figure um you know, to take X amount of officers off of the street and send them to training for a day, that makes each district efficient for a certain amount of officers. So if I'm already a thousand officers short, let's say that the main Let's say that the main criteria is one officer per 50 people in a city right? or 50 people anywhere you're at or 100 people or whatever number you want to arbitrary number you want to put on it. There's over millions of people that commute to the city and county of Denver, but they would never count the people that commuted. They would only, the, uh, they would only count the residents. So during the day, when your population doubles and you send, you're sending your people to training, because let's just be honest, training doesn't happen at night. Training mm-hmm. happens during the day because those guys are in the academy and they've and they, they got kind of cushy gigs out there. You know what I'm saying? It's no different than, say, college or school. Mm-hmm. So that's all happening during the day. The courses are happening during the day. So to be able to pull half of some of your officers off of the street, you're going to have to backfill those with other officers. Otherwise, you're going to have a really big problem. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. Right. With the numbers. Mm-hmm. You do, I don't know. I don't go downtown in Denver anymore. I, I, I avoid yeah. it like a plague, but, uh-huh. you know, but that's kind of what they're running I...
0: into now. Right. But I completely agree. I understand that totally. I just wonder if maybe prevention, like maybe it would be like, I totally understand that. But like, if you train people, then maybe it prevents some kind of crime. But then I'm also thinking like, if you were to spot some kind of like religious crime or something, like what kind of jurisdiction do you have? And I think that because of religious freedom, it puts a lot of Walls around what the law enforcement is able to do like there are people in these cults in Colorado in Texas, you know, in Wyoming, and they are they are being brainwashed and they're they don't have freedom, you know what I mean like we're all about like Americans need freedom to think. But under the freedom of religion, so many people are being constrained and being manipulated and being abused. And so it's so frustrating because I just feel like there's nothing really to be done for them. Right. There's one of those slippery slopes, like how can you enforce law enforcement and the religion without infringing on the people who just believe in? I sometimes think that crimes were committed to us, you know, to. I 100% think so. All right. So I, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy. His name is Steve Hassan. He's a uh, he's a really famous cult expert. He was in the Moonies for a long time. And um, anyway, he has a podcast out and he was talking about how he wanted to consult in Waco and how he called, you know, the negotiators and was like, please let me help you because... Koresh was going off for like, you know, all those days on his biblical rampages. And so, you know, people were trying to help, but it just sort of seemed like the government didn't really want any outside help from from the experts. So anyway, they told him no, and he wasn't allowed to um consult with them. So I just um I just wonder if that would have been helpful or um you know what you think about that.
1: So I think everything is always dependent on where are you at in the, I guess, the the system of things, right? So since the raid had already happened and you had the shootout, right? And you had people that were shot and you had people that were killed and you had people that were injured. At that point, you can't bring in outside people because now you're adding people to the scene that could get injured, right? And so there's mm-hmm. liability in that in, in whatever you do. It's no different than us taping off, I say us, when I was a police officer, <laughs> taping off the ends of the street so that way you don't drive down the street and accidentally get shot if this guy comes out the front door and starts firing rounds at us right it's no different than that you want to try to limit the amount of people that you're introducing into that situation right that makes sense
0: can i just say one really quick thing though do you remember in ruby ridge they brought in they brought in that uh, other crazy beret guy bo grites or something they brought Uh him in in that situation right that's kind of interesting because you know that was dangerous
1: yeah, and I think that had more to do with you know how tight military people are together. Right, like it, that's it, what I mean. A,
0: it's kind it's of like us versus them in there too. So it's like even though outside people wanted to kind of come help in Waco, they were they were being blocked out, you know. And that's right. kind of like what if they would have been helpful.
1: Now the one thing about Waco um, that I do know was a concern. Again, I wasn't inside the compound, so I don't know what the um, yeah. you know that they couldn't do or say or whatever. But I mean. It should have been halted once they knew that they were coming, right? And so you always want the element of surprise during a raid like right. that, right? Again, like right. we were talking about with Ruby Ridge, why do we scout the area so much? And so we know exactly where we're going, where we can make the, the best contact, where, where are we going to be the safest? Our lives are always primary, right? We're serving at the leisure of the people and the government, right? Or right. on behalf of the government, so to speak right i i don't have to die because you want me to do it a specific way right that's not that's not a part of the gig that's not how i what i sign up for
0: right but you also don't have to kill other people
1: The problem you have, though, is, is again, in that workup, right, they had had reports of automatic gunfire, which we know without a tax stamp in the United States, you're not supposed to have an automatic weapon, right? There's a specific stamp you have to apply for through the ATF that you get and you have to get that redone. Well, when you look at this address and nobody is registered with a tax stamp there, now we have automatic weapons going off there. So we know that they're armed. And there were also reports of explosions that they had heard out of the compound, meaning you know, bombs or whatever else was going off. So do you bring in outside people not knowing if that entire area is booby-trapped?
0: Right, right. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's a liability
1: thing. Now, I will agree with you that there are people that are experts that should be consulted, right? Now, whether that's over the phone, or whether that's on video chat. Now we have, uh, you know, in current day, this again was in the 90s. So, you know, this was before all of our um, phones and all that kind of, you know, computers with cameras built in and all that stuff. So, you know, things would definitely be different. Now you could consult people, we could maybe try to get, you know, David on a a Zoom call with one of these experts (laughs) or something, right? Or something along those lines, we could try to do something like that, right? But actually introducing more people to the actual scene is always an issue. It's always going to be an issue because if they get in my way when I'm trying to, maybe I need to, maybe I need to make sure I have an escape route, right? Maybe there's only one way in and one way out to this place, which there was a driveway, right? That you have to come down to be able to get close enough to the house. Right. So if I only have one way in, one way out, and you're the last car that pulls in behind me as the expert and you get out and then you get scared and you run. And now that car is blocking that driveway. Nobody can get out.
0: Right.
1: You see what I'm saying? There's and so many
0: things that you have to consider.
1: Right. There's a lot of training and right. tactics that go into I it feel as like, well.
0: I feel like they let his lawyers in, didn't they, or something? I don't know. I could be wrong. I could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, it was a while ago but, that
1: I watched that, but.
0: Right. But, yeah, that is very interesting. Um,
1: oh well, God. and just one other point I wanted to make to you is, you know, just understand where they were at. They're 20 miles outside of Waco, and at the time right. in the 90s, there was nothing out there. Nothing. Right. Right. And you don't go to a place like that. You want to be alone. That is part of it. Right. But you also take a place like that so you can see for miles around your house to see if right. people are coming, it's right? Tactical, and so
0: a uh, reason
1: exactly. And so it's it's you have lookouts. you have people looking for you know signs of cars they've never seen before. there's right. There's a lot of different um, you know information that you're trying to withhold from these people so that way that they can't just totally assault you when you come in to serve that warrant
0: right do you think that the um the government or you know fbi agents were really taking it seriously his religious side, or do you think they were just sort of calling him crazy? Like I sort of heard that there was some tension between the negotiators who wanted to take sort of a slow approach and talk it out and sort of gain his trust and, and slowly lead them out. Whereas, you know, the FBI was like, no, we need to go in there with our tanks and we need to get them out. Like you said, you know, you kind of want to draw them all out, which was their plan by, by tanking, you know, by, by ramming into it and getting the people out. But so anyway, one side was more forceful and one side wanted to take it more slow, take it slowly. Do you think that, that that kind of mindset might exist within the government side? Like, Oh, they're just crazy. So.
1: What um... I think part of, part of the issue, I think that came up with Waco. Right. And I don't agree with anything that, um, that David really did at the compound. Right. I don't yeah. necessarily agree or subscribe to anything like that, but. One issue that I saw with it, the same negotiator and tact teams that were used in Ruby Ridge were the ones that were shifted over to um, to Waco. There were many agents that were on the Ruby Ridge incident. The, some of the main negotiators and stuff. I can't remember the exact people. If people want to look at it, go back and watch the damn um, mm-hmm. Netflix documentary. They documented mm-hmm. some people in there that you know came from Ruby Ridge, but. I think when you have those two incidents going that close together, I think there was only like a six month break in between those two incidents. Right. right? right. You got to figure that with how Ruby Ridge went down, there were indictments starting to happen. You know, Mm -hmm. there were lawsuits being filed. There was a bunch Mm -hmm. of stuff going on. So you figure that now you take those same agents and you shift them over to a very similar situation. If you don't think that there's some level, some level of PTSD, right. You don't want to make a mistake. You don't want to do that. So now, Instead of full-on rating that, so let me just touch on the raid part of it first. When you want to raid things, again, you want to use the element of surprise to the best of your knowledge. We call it messing mm-hmm. up your OODA link, right? Your OODA link is how fast your brain can process information, right? Oh, that's, that's cool. why we I like use. That. That's why we use flashbangs and everything else. We want to right. disrupt the OODA link, right? We don't want right. you to be able to think about what you were thinking about, like saying hurt right. an officer, you know? Right. And so you want to use the, the um, surprise tactics, okay? Right they went in hard and heavy. The, you know, how the story goes for Waco was the news story, the news reporters actually kind of jacked it all up by asking the mailman who was best friends with the Koresh or with Koresh and these people, um, you know, asking them how to get there and stuff. So he ended up tipping them off. So they knew they were coming. So that's where my statement comes is once they knew, and there was one agent that said, we can't do this raid now, you know, we have need to pull back. And they ended up pushing forward. You know, I think he was ultimately right, especially when you take into consideration that you had automatic gunfire being heard from there. You have explosions being heard from there. Like you have to assume that it's all booby trapped at that point, I feel like. But
0: why didn't they stop? Just because that one guy wanted to go forward?
1: Not necessarily one guy. But again, once they know it's one of those it's like, again, me being on a barricade. Right. Once he knows that I'm outside and I'm not leaving. Right. Like if they know that if they think if they have the perception, any bad any bad person or anybody that you're trying to apprehend, if they have the perception that all they have to do is wait longer than you and you'll get tired and give up, they'll wait every time. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I you have the perception that I'm never leaving, mm-hmm. I am never going to leave until you come out of this house and you're gonna come out of this house one way or another, mm-hmm. right? It creates open it opens up dialogue because now it's like, okay, well. I know I'm going to get arrested, but let me see if I can work a deal. Let me see if I can work this. Let me see if I can work that angle with David. He was so ingrained in his religious beliefs and his own narcissistic personality. That's really what it was, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's him thinking that he could, manipulate these law enforcement officers the exact same that he has been manipulating all of these other people for all these Mm -hmm. years and that's these people had structures in place they had you know they have personalities that they they they're law enforcement type personalities they're looking for some of these signs right Mm -hmm. and it wasn't going to work right and so again without go ahead
0: i'm sorry what what could have been their other option like as soon as they knew as soon as they knew that dave koresh knew they were coming what, what else could they have what could they have done instead of going forward
1: the, I mean obviously you'd pull out and then you could try to negotiate right the one issue that they did have in that and one of the notes that I have in here um, is that they had actual people that had been at that location that had lived at that location previously that basically, told the law enforcement officers, like, he's just going to wait you out. And then they're all going to commit suicide. So now that could now that also creates an element of we know there's children in here, right? Being abused. Do we want a chance this being true? Like we have to we have to weigh these two options. Are they going to kill a bunch of kids in this place as well? You know what I mean? Because they're willing to die for their cause, but these kids don't really mm. know what's going on, you know? Right. So I think that that creates an extra element to it. So you can go, you can back out and try to negotiate, but obviously we saw over the days that ended up not working out anyway. Right. right. And they had already messed up their initial, their their initial raid response, you know? Right. And so they didn't, I don't think that they did enough on the front end. This is my opinion they had an undercover agent that was able to access the location several times. He's the one that ended up getting the information he needed for the warrant, right? There was a signed warrant. So they had a lawful reason to be on the property to be there. Um, but I think that there could have been, even though David knew who this person was, he was toying with him. And I think that you they could have played that off a little bit longer to get mm-hmm. more information about the actual compound before mm-hmm. they did the raid. Does that mm-hmm. make sense?
0: Like where the weapons are, where the children are, all that stuff. How
1: many, yeah. How many rooms, what are, what are their, what are their tendencies? What are they going to do? What, you know, are they going to rush to the top right room? Are they going to all rush to the basement? Are they going to, mm-hmm. you know, where are they going to be? Right. And how are, how are they going to respond to this? So I think that, you know, again, Monday morning quarterback here, but um, just doing a little bit more recon to it. Now I feel like Ruby Ridge, there was too much recon that ended up costing people their lives, right? right. Whereas Waco, I feel like there maybe wasn't enough recon, you know, given the cer- right. the facts and circumstances surrounding the still you know, the- is
0: like 51 days. That's a long ass time, you know. Oh, yeah. The media's there giving them pressure and the government's giving them pressure. They don't want another Ruby Ridge, you know. Um, can I ask you about what, it seemed like they use a a lot of like torture tactics on the cult members like they would play loud music late at night um and stuff like that and keep them awake and like flashing lights and stuff were reported um like they would kind of like toy with dave koresh I, I heard that they like bulldozed his cars and it sort of seemed like the government was kind of trying to piss him off was that to try to get them to come out like yeah. how you said you yeah. want to try to draw them out
1: yeah it's like it's a, yeah, it seemed
0: like it had the opposite effect though. It seemed like it kind of made him want to dig in harder, you know,
1: without, without actually starting the house on fire. It's like smoking somebody out, right? Like you're right. trying to get them to come out without you having to go back in and kill more people. Right. So people and were that shot might on,
0: work with regular people, but with like a cult narcissistic person, maybe do you think maybe that wasn't the best idea?
1: Possibly. <laughs> I mean, again, you can't, every situation is its own, right? And so, the one thing I would say is when you're looking, and this is just for all of your listeners too, is be slow to judge, you know, what is going on because you don't really have all of the facts and circumstances ever. Right. And I still don't for to sure. this day, right? And it's how many yeah. years afterwards, and I've looked into it. And so, for me to walk up on that, just like me walking up to a house where I have a call, maybe you call the police, let's, let's take it down to the local level. You call the police, you tell them, hey, my boyfriend hit me, he's in the house and he has a gun, but he doesn't Mm -hmm. have a gun, Mm -hmm. right? But you know that if you say gun on the phone that Mm -hmm. we're going to come with a very heightened sense of who we are because maybe Mm -hmm. you're mad at him, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you're pissed Mm -hmm. off because he beat you up. And so you told us that he has a gun. Well, now you think that we're just going to go in there and we're just going to beat the piss out of him. Mm -hmm. Every element of the calls coming in to the people that are involved, to the raids, to the who's making the calls, to, to all of this is all based on information that's gathered throughout that entire investigation. And then, you know, during that, that 51 day period or whatever the raid ended up being, you know, is all all of this every day is a new day. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you go back into the new day, you know, okay, we tried the music last night. That didn't work. Keeping them up all night, you know, didn't make them work. It'll make people crazy and make them come out. I've seen it. People will get so delirious and but people, people give... are
0: already crazy. And then you do it. That just seems like a bad idea. Could be could be, you know, and <laughs> I don't know. If... And like, I, I don't want to judge. I'm just I'm just curious. You know, it just seems so. um, It just seems so aggressive. You know, mm. it seemed aggressive, but it was a long time. And, and so I'm just curious, you know, this is all just from a curiosity.
1: And now they're also operating on every day that goes by. Mm-hmm. They're they're operating under the assumption that they will wait as long as they can. Quote unquote is what David Koresh told these people that lived at that compound that there was right. talking to the ATF at the time. We will wait it out as long as we can, and then we will commit suicide. Well, mm-hmm. when is when is that point? Mm-hmm. We don't know how you know the law enforcement officers outside and stuff. And again, I'm not I'm not an apologist. I think that there was some mm-hmm. I think that there was some bad. I think there was bad on both sides, right. On this mm-hmm. whole incident, you know, now again, the cult side of things, I don't agree with anyway, but mm-hmm. let's just, let's just say in the incident itself as law enforcement versus these people, right. There were, there was crap that that happened on both sides that probably shouldn't have. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I don't, I, I try to be very, very detailed. And when I talk about things like this is because one thing I do understand is that every day is a new day, right? So Mm -hmm. is this the day that they're going to feed all these kids poison? Is this the day that they're going to just say, screw it. And they're going to detonate a bunch of bomb traps that are out on this property that we haven't known about. And they just haven't blown up because they haven't wanted to go that far. You just don't have some of that information and you just don't, you know, you don't have access
0: to some. You guys are still talking. We're just yeah, chatting uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah, and then we can talk about January sixth too, if you guys want oh, to. Yes, I want to.
0: I would love that. Cause that's yeah. my favorite subject. That's a really great point because you are um, like politically on one side and law enforcement on the other side.
1: Yeah, I don't. I just like, like I said, I don't. I don't. I don't identify as anything. I identify right. as yeah. Dustin yeah. Duff. Yeah. That's who I am. Right. That's who, if People team. ask me. They, they ask me, are you cool. conservative? Or are you Democrat or whatever? I just tell them I'm I'm Dustin Duff. That's who I am. Sorry. <laughs> That's not the answer you That's want awesome. Then Shove off. <laughs> so. All right, ladies. Cool. You guys have a great day, okay? It was great was to you
0: Tell Jenna hi. We'll talk
1: to you later. I will. Take care. Bye. i
0: okay. will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.